0: Yeah, this morning we, we continue our series uh, titled Gifted Unity. Uh, so we're continuing to look at how it is the spiritual gifts that God gives to his bride, the church, which is, as each one of us, we are all part of the church, it is in fact an, an amazing opportunity for unity within the body. All the different gifts that we have, all the different gifts that we use, God uses us in such a way that we experience more and more unity within the life of the church. So over the last couple of weeks, we've spent time looking at how the Spirit is at work both in our salvation and within the wider life of the church. And we've looked together at how the Spirit's work in both of these areas brings about this unity within the body of Christ so that we become the spiritual family that God has created us to be. This, in reality, is a beating heart of unity within the church. If we have faith in God today, we can all look upwards and say, Father... And at the same time, our faith means we can all look at one another. In spite of our differences and diversities and different personalities, we can look at each other and we can say, brother, sister, brother, sister, because we have the same Heavenly Father. So the work of the Holy Spirit, both vertically and horizontally, is what binds us together as a spiritual family. And this is why unity is possible within the church. It's only ever possible because of God's Spirit at work within our lives. This morning, we continue on in 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to focus on verses 7 to 8 of our passage. Uh, this morning, we're, we're beginning to dip into the list uh, of spiritual gifts that Paul presents us with at the beginning of this chapter. So if you have your Bibles, let's just have a look at verses 7 to 8. I'm reading from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible, and the words are going to be up on the screen as well. So Paul says, starting in verse 7, <clears throat> A manifestation of a spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the spirit, to another a message of knowledge by the same spirit. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word uh, today. Uh, the thing I've loved most about this sermon series, and I've I've learned so much even in the last few weeks, is how my own understanding of what unity is has basically been blown completely out of the water. Um, I never thought that unity was uniformity. That is, I never believed that unity, for for unity to exist within a local church, we all had to be the same. Um, I've never, ever thought that. But I also never believed that unity was, in fact, diversity uh, and difference. Deep down in my own heart, I never really believed that diversity and difference could be one of, if not the primary vehicle for unity within the life of the church. Unity flourishes when there is complementarity, diversity, difference. So for me, at a very pragmatic level, I understood unity simply to be the absence of conflict. It was a very basic, practical understanding of unity. If there's no conflict, then there's unity. Or maybe even to some extent, the absence of any significant difference. But as we've seen in this passage, we see just how important diversity is, and how important diversity is to unity within the life of the church. And it's only as we've looked at First Corinthians 12 and how this has tapped into other parts of Scripture that we start to see how true unity is when different and diverse people come together under the authority of Christ in the power of his Holy Spirit. So looking at this chapter, I'm beginning to see how unity in the church is very much a supernatural work of God. that allows us to be both different in the way that God created us. And at the same time united, the common ground we have is a good news of the gospel for the common good? We are all, we all have this commonality together, but we are gifted in different ways. It's incredible. It's interesting. Philippians 4, uh, Paul speaks about Yodia and Syntyche, who appear to have fallen out with one another. It's two individuals in the church in Philippi, and they've had some kind of disagreement and difference with each other. Verse 2, we read this I urge Yodia Eu- and I urge Syntyche to agree. And the Lord. So it's clear there's some kind of issue between these two women. And Paul recognizes in verse 3 that each of these individuals have been of great value to him and to the church in Philippi. They've worked together with him for the sake of the kingdom. So he writes, Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side. So these women have worked together with Paul, with the church in Philippi, to contend for the gospel. Along with Clement and the rest of my co workers, whose names are in the book of life. So it's in this context that Paul then says in verses four to five of our passage, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness or your reasonableness or your kindness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. So Paul effectively says here, In your moment of disagreement, in your moment of difference, in your moment of conflict, I want you to do two things. First of all, rejoice. Worship God with all that you are. Celebrate in light of the fact that God loves you, that God rescued you, that God has changed you and transformed you. And the second thing is this. Look to be a blessing to the person that you're in conflict with. He says, let your graciousness, your reasonableness, your kindness be known to everyone. So why does Paul say this? It's because of what he says at the end, at the very end of this passage. The Lord is near. In other words, Jesus is coming soon. So, if we have this eternal perspective on our lives, then the conflicts we carry in our hearts become minuscule and silly and irrelevant. When you understand all that God has planned for us and the fact that Jesus could return tomorrow, then this dispute, this difference, this disagreement you have makes no sense at all in light of eternity. So, what I've learned from this passage recently, is that unity is not the absence of difference, diversity, and even conflict. Unity is in fact the ability to show grace, to show reasonableness, to show kindness to someone, in spite of the presence of difference, diversity, maybe even conflict. That's really what unity is all about. It's When you can show love to someone who is not showing love back to you, because that's a picture of the gospel. Because we we rejected God, we turned our back on him, and yet in spite of our sin and rebellion, God showed love towards us. So when we do this in a horizontal way to our church family, we are in fact in some way replicating what Christ has done for us. So the differences that we have can in fact become a spirit-empowered vehicle towards a biblical unity that glorifies God, that points us towards our differences, and enables us to then complement one another as a church family. So we see this with the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all different, and yet they're one. And though it's clearly not the same difference we see between Eodia and Syntyche, but it's difference nonetheless. We see this in marriage, as we thought about last week. Men and women are different, and yet God made them to be one in marriage. We see this in the church as well. There would never be another situation in society, or in culture, when where this group of people here right now, would be together. This is a supernatural work of God, the fact that we are all here, because we are all different, we all come from different backgrounds, we have different nationalities, and yet God brings us together under Christ. It's a supernatural work of God. It makes no sense, apart from spirit, at work within our lives. So this is why Paul says in our passage today, and particularly in verse 7, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. So a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. So the diversity and difference in the church comes from the fact that each person receives a different manifestation of the Spirit. The spiritual gifts we have are varied evidences of the Holy Spirit. This is what makes us different. This is what makes us diverse. And Paul uses this word manifestation here. And in doing this, He's basically bringing those three ideas in verses 4 to 6. If you remember last week, we were thinking about different gifts, different ministries, different activities. And Paul's bringing all those three terms under the same banner. This term, manifestations, covers them all. And these manifestations take various forms, depending on each person, depending on what we do within the life of a local church. So this means something really important for us this morning. There's not a single person here, who has not been gifted by God in some way. We all bring something different to the table that is Denison Baptist Church. And that something different is of absolute value and worth and importance to God and to each one of us. So take hold of the fact that God loved you so much that he didn't just die for you. That in itself is amazing and incredible, the fact that Jesus died for you and for me. He also rose from the dead. He gave you his Holy Spirit. He gifted you in different ways. They're called manifestations of the Spirit. And these different giftings benefit the whole church family. They're for the common good. So a person that says, I'm of no use in this church, some of you might say that this morning, you're saying something completely unbiblical. Completely unbiblical. It makes no sense. God's word is clear. We all have gifts. Our gifts are varied. Our gifts are different. And these gifts benefit the entire church massively. Not just a wee bit. When we use our gifts empowered by the Spirit in a way that glorifies God, we are massively encouraged and blessed by this. So understand that. It's just so important. Uh, The diversity is in fact an opportunity for unity. And we see this unity in these manifestations of the Spirit. And it's the same source. So it's the Spirit. The spirit manifestations we see in a church, both ordinary and extraordinary, are from the spirit himself. It's quite incredible when you think about that. God's spirit is working in our lives. God himself is in us. He is a source of all that is good we see within the life of the church. And not only that, we see this unity that it results. It produces the same thing. The spirit manifests in various ways in the lives of believers in the local church. And all these various manifestations result in the same thing. They are for the common good. They are for the common good. You know, when we read that phrase, for the common good, it literally means, with a view to profiting the group. With a view to profiting the group. The individual and varied gifts that you have really will benefit the entire group that is Denison Baptist Church. So don't underestimate us. You know, if we're Scottish here this morning, then we're always downplaying ourselves and our nation in so many different contexts. But understand this morning that the Bible is clear. God has gifted us in so many ways. And so we should embrace the gifts we have and use them in humility and dependence in such a way that he is glorified through our lives. We know this to be true. We see this in so many different ways within the life of Denison and Baptist. We're all different. As I've said this a few weeks back, I look at every single person here. You are all different. You are gifted in different ways. We all have a different manifestation of the spirit. And when we display our diversity, we in turn experience unity. So I'm sharing all of this with you this morning, recognizing there's quite a lot of overlap here. And we've talked about the subject of diversity and unity already within this series. And that's no bad thing. Any overlap is because of what Paul writes in First Corinthians 12. Paul is re-emphasizing some of these points for us. And so it's helpful and healthy for us to re-emphasize them as well. So it's from here that Paul starts to talk about different spiritual gifts. And we've said already this list is not exhaustive. This is not the complete list of spiritual gifts. There are many, many more alongside the ones we find in verses 8 to 10. Um, this list will highlight some of the gifts that some of you have within the life of of Denison Baptist and so let's begin by digging into verse 8 of our passage Paul writes to one is given a message of wisdom through the spirit to another a message of knowledge by the same spirit now take note the spiritual gifts are not wisdom and knowledge but rather a message of wisdom and a message of knowledge these gifts are ones that when used involve some kind of verbal declaration it's not just that we have wisdom and knowledge we have the gift to then communicate wisdom and communicate knowledge. So let's take these gifts in turn. As we look at these gifts, an argument could be made that these are at the very least very similar. And the fact that they are beside each other in Paul's phrase would suggest that we can say for sure that there is certainly significant overlap between these gifts, a message of wisdom and a message of knowledge. But what's important to note is that you would not find these verses, a message of wisdom and a message of knowledge anywhere else in the New Testament. And that kind of makes it difficult for us to understand what these gifts are all about. If Paul or another apostle had spoken about a message of knowledge and a message of wisdom in another passage, we would be able to gain some more insight as to what these gifts are. However, we don't find this anywhere else. So what we do have, however, are a number of examples where Paul speaks of both wisdom and knowledge in this letter to the Corinthians. And we can be certain that when Paul uses those words, wisdom and knowledge, somewhere else in this same letter, he carries the same meaning as 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 8. Now, before we look at these gifts, let's just pause for a moment. Let's just take a step back. Let's take a moment to reflect on the amazing truth that God in his love chooses to bless us with wisdom. And knowledge. I just think that's an incredible thing that we can so often overlook. But the fact that, that God rescues us from our sins and then blesses us with these gifts so that we have insight and understanding about what is going on in our world, about who God is, about what we face in our lives with all of our different situations and circumstances, this, is, this shows, this is an indicator that God really does love us. He has his very best for us and all that we face, both good and bad. So just take a moment to reflect upon this. That has to be your foundation. If you understand that God loves you, then you understand why it is that he's given you these gifts, if he has given you these gifts. Paul speaks of wisdom elsewhere in this letter. So let's focus on this message of wisdom, the gift of a message of wisdom. <clears throat> he speaks of wisdom elsewhere in this letter. And as we said, we can be certain that what he means by wisdom and knowledge and other parts of this letter, he means the same here in this passage. As well, So he says in 1 Corinthians 1, and in verses 20 to 25, Paul says this, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. So basically, Paul says here, there are two types of wisdom, the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. They're competing with one another. One wisdom is from the world The other wisdom is from God. One wisdom rejects a crucified Christ. The other wisdom embraces, receives a crucified Christ. One wisdom makes us more and more like the world. The other wisdom makes us more and more like Jesus. And Paul then goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 1 and 30 to 31, It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us. Our righteousness, sanctification and redemption In order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In other words, this wisdom that we have is a gift from God. And through this wisdom, we know that we are righteous, that we are holy, that we are redeemed before God because of what Jesus has achieved for us on the cross. And as Paul says here in verse 31, we can't boast about this. Let the one who boasts, boast only in the Lord. We can't take credit for what God has done for us. The wisdom that God gives to us means that we give glory to him and him alone. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 2, in verses 12 to 14, and he says this, Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. So Paul wants us to see here that when we have this wisdom, when God has revealed this to us, we can't help but share it with those who don't have this wisdom. You know, I'm convinced that when Paul speaks of the gift of a message or an utterance of wisdom, he's speaking of what we read about in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. So this gift is the ability, and this is so important for us, this gift is the ability to speak the truth of the gospel into a worldly situation. It's a gift of being able to share the truth of Jesus to the right person, at the right moment, with the right words, and with the right tone. This is a gift of a message of wisdom. When all we ever hear is this constant bombardment of the wisdom of the world, the person with this gift of a message of wisdom is able to speak the gospel into that context And they're able to show the difference between the message of the cross and everything that might be against the message of the cross. So they're able just to highlight, this is who Jesus is. This is what he has done for us. And this is why it's different from what you believe in your situation and your context. Gordon Fee says this about this this gift of the message of wisdom. He says this, "...the message of wisdom revealed by the Spirit is not some special understanding of the deeper things or mysteries of God. Rather, it is the recognition that the message of Christ crucified is God's true wisdom. This recognition comes only to those who have received the Spirit. For only the Spirit, Paul says, whom we have received, understands the mind of God and reveals what he accomplished in Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 10-13. Thus, the utterance of wisdom that comes through the Spirit probably refers to an utterance that proclaims Christ crucified into this highly wisdom conscious community. So the Corinthians, the city of Corinth was utterly obsessed with wisdom, but it wasn't godly wisdom. And Paul is saying here, you have this gift to speak Christ-centered, cross-centered wisdom into this society. So you're maybe trying to understand what this looks like. You've got an idea of what we mean by this gift of a message of wisdom, but how does this play out in life today in 2021? Well, let me just give you a couple of examples where I think I'm, I'm identifying this gift in certain situations this year. Um, I was watching one of the mainstream news channels last month and they had as a guest uh, Willie Phillip, um, who's a minister at the Tron Church just down the road on Bath Street. Now, they had invited him on because he's both, he's both a doctor and a minister. And they wanted his insight on COVID, lockdown, vaccination passports. And churches potentially being limited or prevented from worshipping because of all of the above. Um, And what Philip did was address all of these different questions. And from there, he then directed the topic of conversation towards the gospel. He was able to apply the truth of the gospel into all of these different situations on national news. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I found that incredible. I could never say for definite, but I think he has this gift. Of a message of wisdom. He might disagree with me, that's fine. But he understands the wisdom of the world. He understands the wisdom of God. And he understands how to bring the good news to this world that is lost and in need of a savior. And the people on this on this channel, the panel that we're listening on, were so encouraged. They were so, so blessed by it. They didn't agree with everything he said, but they could understand clearly what it was he was communicating. So the message of a gift of wisdom, or a gift of a message of wisdom. Another example of this gift, I believe, is through a Christian organisation and through a number of folk who work within this Christian organisation. They're called Speak Life. It's run by a guy called Glenn Scrivener and he's based in London. And their goal as an organisation is to communicate the truth of the gospel on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, any other platform that's relevant and accessible to the masses. And what are they doing here? They're speaking the wisdom of God And to platforms that are saturated by the wisdom of the world. And at the very least, it's creating discussion between non-believers and believers. So i look at that and think, that's clearly this gift in action. The truth of the gospel being communicated in the midst of a world that is very much anti-gospel, anti-cross. And people are taking notice. People are responding in some way. They may not come to faith, but they are being challenged by what they believe in light of what this person believes. So that's the first gift. The second gift mentioned in verse 8, which is a wee bit more controversial for us this morning, is the gift of a message of knowledge. There's definitely overlap with this gift in the previous one. And just as we understand the gift of wisdom in light of Paul's words here, in light of Paul's words elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, we may understand this gift of knowledge in light of what Paul says about knowledge elsewhere in this letter too, particularly chapters 13 and 14 where Paul mentions this gift of knowledge on a number of occasions. And this morning, as we think about this gift, I want us to focus in on First Corinthians 13. So the next chapter in verses 8 to 9. And Paul says this, he says, Love never ends, and this is something we're going to look at next year. Uh, Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. So Paul here is speaking about the end of time. He's speaking about the day that Jesus will one day return. And his main point is this, love never ends. So Jesus will return and love will never end. And as he says this, he contrasts love with prophecies, tongues, and knowledge, which he is clear in stating will, in fact, one day come to an end. Now, when Paul speaks of knowledge to the Corinthians, it can't be how we would normally define Knowledge, this idea of having greater understanding, more information within our lives. Why do I say that? Because we know that when Jesus returns, our knowledge will not come to an end. As Paul says here, in fact, the opposite of that. We will instead walk into a fullness of knowledge because Christ will be fully revealed to us. We will no longer know in part. We will see him as he is. So when Paul speaks of this gift as a message of knowledge, It's therefore less likely to be a general doctrinal understanding of God. This would be more more suited to a message of wisdom, what we see in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. And it then leaves us asking this question, what else could it be? If it's not just a general understanding of who God is, what is it? What is it? And what we find in the Gospels and in Acts are a whole list of examples where both Jesus and the members of the early church speak a timely word of knowledge that only God could have given them But then ministers or challenges someone in a personal way. And this leads to that person having a more accurate insight into God. Sometimes it leads to their salvation. So someone has this word for that person in their situation and it gives them a clearer vision of God. Sometimes it leads them to a place where they come to faith in Christ. The one example I want to highlight, and honestly, there there are so many, I mean, I, I listed 12 examples and I can highlight those uh, for us after the service. Uh, we can put it on, on social media or email. <clears throat> but the one example I want to highlight this morning, out of the many, is in Acts. It's the story of Ananias as he ministers to Saul, who we know as Paul. We read in Acts 9 and starting in verse 10. So this is, this is a moment of Saul's conversion. He comes to faith in Christ. He was persecuting believers. And then he sees Christ and he responds in faith. And we read this in verse 10. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. What a great response. If God calls you. Your response should be that, here I am, Lord. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went. And entered the house. He placed his hands on him. And said. And this is what we might call. His gift of a message of wisdom. This moment here. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road. You were travelling. Has sent me so that you may regain your sight. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptised. And after taking some food. He regained his strength. Now. Ananias knew none of what Saul had gone through apart from God revealing this to him. It wasn't like Saul explained all this to Ananias and then he prayed. No, Ananias had knowledge of all of this directly from God. And what results, I believe, is a message of wisdom, a message of knowledge, rather. God is working powerfully in both the life of Saul and in the life of Ananias. In order that the gospel might be advanced, Saul's life is transformed because of this, this gift being used and it results in the gospel being advanced. So this is one of, of many different examples and feel free to, to ask me about those. And as I said, we'll, we'll put these up on online for you uh, to have a look at. So 12 or so other examples from scripture, but hopefully you get an idea of this gift being used. Let me just share another example from history uh, and from someone who did not actually believe that messages of wisdom were gifts were for today. It's a story of Charles Spurgeon. And he was preaching in his church, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And it's a testimony of someone who went to hear Spurgeon preach. Um, and this is from Spurgeon's autobiography. Uh, so let's just have a look at this, this testimony. Just take a moment to, to understand what's going on here. This is a testimony of an individual who, who arrived at this church and heard Spurgeon preach, Mr. Spurgeon looked at me as if he knew me and in his sermon he pointed to me and told the congregation that I was a shoemaker and that I kept my shop open on Sundays and I did so. I should not have minded that, but he also said that I took ninepence the Sunday before and that there was fourpence profit out of it. I did take ninepence that day and fourpence was just the profit, but how he should know that, I could not tell. Then it struck me that it was God who had spoken to my soul through him. So I shut up my shop the next Sunday. At first I was afraid to go again to hear him, lest he should tell people more about me. But afterwards I went and the Lord met with me and saved my soul. So just an incredible example of this gift in action. Uh, And notice it's for the common good. So this person was saved as a result of this. I'm sure the entire church family, when they heard about this, We're encouraged and blessed. Don't worry, I'm not going to do this next Sunday, pick out someone. But it just shows how God can be at work through this gift as someone sensitive to the Spirit. Spurgeon actually adds his own thoughts to this testimony. Uh, And he says this, "Um, I could tell as many as a dozen similar cases in which I pointed at somebody in the hall without having the slightest knowledge of a person or any idea that what I said was right Except that I believed I was moved by the Spirit to say it. And that's just the most important thing for us. It's not just something that we're making up here. It's God's Spirit is compelling us to say that if we're convinced that it's God's Spirit. So Spurgeon continues, And so striking has been my description, that the persons have gone away and said to their friends, Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Beyond a doubt, he must have been sent of God to my soul, or else he could not have described me so exactly. And not only so, but I have known many instances in which the thoughts of men have been revealed from the pulpit. I have sometimes seen persons nudging their neighbours with their elbow because they had got a smart hit and they have been heard to say when they were going out, the preacher told us just what we said to one another when we went in at the door. So incredible. There's many instances from the life of Spurgeon. And let me also just share a personal example with you. Um. There are a number I could share relating to this gift in my own life, but let me just share this one. So a number of years ago, um, I was debating in my mind a decision that I had before me. I was unsure whether or not I should do something. And the reality is, as I'm honest before you, the decision I had in mind was whether I should or should not sin. So I was debating, should I go down this pathway? Deep down, I knew it was sinful, but I was tempted by it and I was just considering this as a potential pathway. Um, And so I went to this this prayer morning uh, very early in the morning. I was the youngest in the group. And no one in that group knew what I was contemplating. And I can still vividly remember uh, someone praying. And in the middle of their prayer, they just suddenly stopped. uh, And they said, someone in this room is thinking about sinning. They want to do it. They know it's wrong. The Lord is telling you this morning to stop it, to cut it out. Now, if anything was to ever strike a fear of God into your heart and lead you towards a a path of repentance and loving Jesus more, it was that. Now, absolutely nobody knew what was going on in my life, and yet here was someone speaking directly to me. I still don't know if this person knew that they were speaking about me or if it was just they had this vague understanding. But it was clear that God was uh, speaking through them. And it was for the common good. It resulted in transformation in my life. Um, it resulted in a life, for me, I was moving more and more towards the things of God as a result of that moment in that prayer meeting. All I can say is it was of God. Whether or not it was this gift or not, I can say it was of God. Um, so as I reflect on this and what I read about in examples in church history, what I see in scripture, what I can... Testify to in my own life, and there's a few other examples I could give you. I see how beneficial this word can be for each one of us this message of knowledge, this gift that God can give to some of his church members for the common good so that we might become all that he has created us to be. So I say all of this this morning, uh, and let me just be clear we're not going to fall out this morning if you have a different idea about what these gifts are. I'm not going to die on this hill. But I think we can agree that in their very basic forms, they bring us to a greater insight and understanding into who God is and who we are in light of who God is. They're very basic forms. The challenge for us this morning is this. Are we open to these gifts? And if we have either of these gifts within our lives, we might have both of these gifts. Are we using them in a manner that's pleasing to God? You know, the extent to which God is at work powerfully through the gifts he has given us, in a manner that's pleasing to him, is the extent to which we are loving him with all that we are, that we are living out the great command to love God with all that we are, and we're choosing to step into the Great Commission to go and make disciples. And I would love to be more and more a part of a church that's able to apply the gospel so relevantly and passionately to a world that is so anti-cross and anti-gospel. And I would also love to be a part of a church that's really open to, to the moments where we're speaking with someone or we're in a prayer meeting... Or we just sense God has has brought something to our heart about a person and their particular situation. And we have the courage to maybe make a mistake in that moment and to say, you know, I feel God has led me to say this. Let me just share it with you. So let us be a church who is open to both of these gifts. As we now respond to our time of worship, there's just a few things that we can do. Uh, Maybe you would like prayer after our time today. Then do connect with us. Do speak to myself or to Paul or to anyone else who you have confidence in. Let us know what it is you're going through. We would count it a privilege to pray with you today. Uh, Maybe you've never came to terms with this Jesus before. Maybe you're here or watching online. You've never experienced God's love and grace. Understand that Jesus died for your sins, rose from the dead, gave you his Holy Spirit, and he has an incredible plan for your life. And we would count it a privilege To lead you in that direction so that you know, with all that you are, that Jesus is Lord. And this morning, we we also come to the table and we do so recognizing God's abundant goodness and His abundant generosity towards us. So we praise and rejoice in the fact that in His wisdom, He did choose to die for each one of our sins, He did choose to rise from the dead, and He chose to give His new life through His Spirit. We come to this table and we rejoice in this reality. It was in a night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. So we don't take this bread and drink this cup lightly. We do so with reverence. We do so with expectation of what God's going to do in our lives. We do so with thanksgiving that he has gifted us in various ways and he wants to lead us so let's pray together as we do all these things so father we (coughs) you are here with us this morning and you are speaking to us and lord we we do pray that we would respond in the way that you want us to respond lord if there's anything of hesitancy or fear within our hearts I pray that you would take that from us And Lord, that you would guide this time now as we respond in worship, that you would change our hearts and that we would, in light of what we have done today, would move into our week feeling fully recharged and strengthened to be the people you call us to be. So we thank you, Lord, for this time and we pray that you would bless us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Love you guys.